I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. America's fascists are those people who think Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand, has much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Growing up white in the 50s and 60s, there was no question all us kids felt deeply patriotic. In today's superheated political context, the word patriotism is used to divide us. Having been seen for decades as just as patriotic as anyone, Democrats are now painted by some as traitors, not just the opposition. Some today argue that if you did not serve in the military, you can't be a real patriot. I always thought running for office and my service as an elected state senator was a clear definition of patriotism, as is just being a good citizen, participating in politics and in government. Apparently not anymore. What is patriotism? Does the right wing now own the term patriotism? With us today to focus on the meaning of patriotism is Steve Hochstadt. He taught history at Illinois College in Jacksonville for 10 years. After teaching at Base College in Maine for 27 years, his research is focused on migration in Germany and on the Holocaust. Hochstadt's grandparents escaped from Vienna in 1939 and went to Shanghai. He's published two books about the flight of Jews from Central Europe to China. He wrote a weekly column for the Jacksonville Journal-Courier, Uh, from 2009 to 2018, and continues to write for History News Network and L.A. Progressive. And his article in both History News Network and L.A. Progressive was titled simply, What is Patriotism? Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Steve. Bert, thanks for having me on your show. Well, what, what prompted you to write this article now? I've actually written over the years a number of articles about patriotism because Uh, For exactly the reasons that you just explained, uh, I've felt that as somebody on the left, my patriotism, our patriotism is always questioned and denied by people on the right. And so I often feel like I've got to examine what I think patriotism is and what I think is wrong with the right calling us traitors. I don't think it's a new thing. Um, Hmm. was the basis of McCarthyism. So it's uh, your and my whole life that uh, patriotism of people like us uh, has been denied, turned into its opposite. Turned into its opposite. What do you mean by that? Well, so things that we think, or things that I think, Mm -hmm. are patriotic, such as uh, trying to make America a better place, by saying we think these things are wrong, or trying to get our government to stop doing things that uh, we think are bad. And I think about the Vietnam War yeah, as an example. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking that. From our youth. Uh, yeah. And that's been, uh, that was, I think, patriotic actions, but uh, they were called by conservatives treason. 
Yeah, I did find find it interesting that my critique of the Vietnam War came from a sense of patriotism and that, you know, I, I grew up and I guess you grew up too, believing that the world looked up to us, that, that people wanted to come to America to have freedom, to have democracy, to live in a republic. And here we were doing horrible things in Vietnam that were just against what I understood to be the basic principles of America. And so I, I, I was certainly participating in the anti-war movement, and I, I did it from a, a sense of, of patriotic duty, I thought. But you're right. There are those uh, bumper stickers back then, America, love it or leave it. We couldn't disagree because then they'd call you uh, uh, unpatriotic. And I wonder about how people uh, who, who, who question our patriotism, are they not aware that in World War II, hundreds of thousands, probably, I don't know, maybe a million or so more liberal Democrats were on the front lines in both theaters of war. I, I, it's just, it's rather odd how they can uh, change it. And, and I have long found it interesting that on the 4th of July, one is expected to wave a flag, but talking politics is clearly a no-no. It's always seemed odd to me. You write, I always welcome thoughtful conversations about what behavior is patriotic, about how we should act if we love our country. It's too bad this rarely happens. Can you explain that? Well, I, uh, I was. You asked me why I was wrote that article then. Part of it was it was just after the Fourth of July, and I've been obviously thinking about patriotism. Um, my father was an immigrant from Vienna came to the United States at age 18 and uh, escaping the Nazis. He's my model of a patriot. I don't think we had an American flag in the house. He certainly didn't wander around saying, I am a patriot. But uh, as soon as the war started, he came in 1938. As soon as the war started, he volunteered, became an officer, and went back to Europe to fight against the Nazis, really to fight against his own former countrymen. Uh, And he always treasured what America offered him, which really was uh, the ability to survive. And I'm I'm Uh, guessing, uh, just just a guess, that he may not have been uh, where the right-wingers are today. Not at all. Not at all. One of the things, one of the things that you have to learn from the Holocaust, whether you participate in it, uh, become a victim of it, as my family were, or just study it, uh, Mm -hmm. like I do, is that patriotism can be taken too far. And just because somebody says they love their country and they're a patriot uh, doesn't mean that they're a good person or that they're about to do good things or that they'll even do good things for their country. Uh, that was that's the lesson of the Nazis. And, and I, I'm I'm skeptical when when somebody says I'm a patriot. I I want to know well what does that mean? Yeah. And you may recall seeing our current president uh, literally literally wrap himself in the flag. And I saw that picture. <laughs> it, it really it disgusted me yeah. because of the things that he says and does, which to me are the opposite of patriotism. And and Samuel Johnson, 
made his famous pronouncement that patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel back in 1775. He was not indicting patriotism in general, only false patriotism. Have you seen, how have you seen patriotism used as a refuge for scoundrels? Well, Trump is a is a primary example, but McCarthy, Senator McCarthy, is another one who, uh, and all the people, it wasn't just uh, Republicans in the 1940s and 50s who said, we are patriots, but in fact, they were just using that as a pretext to attack people that they politically didn't like, which were trade unionists people in the civil rights movement. Uh, patriotism is really easy to use as a cover for bad behavior. He, I don't think that the left is ever going to escape that uh, from, from the right, that uh, they will continue to use patriotism, uh, the claim that they are patriotic and people on the left are not, as a, as a political tool, having nothing to do with any principles. Wow, that's, that, that's interesting to see. Your sense is that they got it now, and, and I sense a defining moment for what you were talking about and for the accepted definition of patriotism was happened during the anti-war movement of the late 60s. If a business or residence flew a flag, the American flag, everybody knew they supported the war. I I think it was a huge, huge error on the part of patriots who were against the war to surrender the flag to these right-wingers. How did we let that happen? Perhaps there were no other options, but how serious do you think letting them capture the flag was for the long-term understanding of patriotism? Could we have done it differently? Well, Bert, I think I, I disagree with you somewhat on that. I don't, I don't think there's any way, any good way to protect yourself from uh, people who say, we are patriots, we're going to define patriotism in this narrow way, and since you don't fit it, you're a traitor. Uh, and I, I think you, you pointed out in something you sent to me that Roosevelt, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, was accused of being a communist. Uh, being a socialist, the the New Deal was socialism, right, which right. Uh, conservatives have picked up again after oh. uh, decades of not talking about it. Um, I think that that's that's a convenient way for conservatives to try to make political points uh, to say that liberalism is treason uh, and Coulter. As a, sure. as a crass example of that, but um, people on the right have been doing that uh, for, for decades, long before the Vietnam War. So when, when uh, construction workers in right. New York City right. shouted at anti-war protesters, love it or leave it, they were just adopting something which, uh, a slogan, that it had been used already by uh, conservatives in the 50s, Nixon talking about his Democratic opponents as pink, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, now we've got it again with Trump and really all the Republicans yes. calling the Democrats socialists and pointing to the most left few Democrats as uh, the heart of the Democratic Party. They all know, they know that's not true, but they use it. And so scoundrels, refuge for scoundrels, yeah, there's no protection against the scoundrel. But I, whenever I take action, and I do, uh, you know, it's it's based on a sense of my own deep, very sincere patriotism, and that's really where it comes from for me. I am certainly not of the right, definitely of the traditional Democratic Party, the Bernie Sanders side. I mean, as you say, the right uses it as a weapon against us, against everybody else. But should I abandon? My sense of patriotism as as the base from which I act, I, I would hope not. I mean, we can't just surrender on this, can we? On, on they don't own the term patriotism. Yeah, they don't own it, and they're uh, busy trying to ruin it. I think. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't surrender it. Um, I write uh, partly out of a feeling of trying to improve and. I feel like I'm doing that out of a sense of my own patriotism. Even when people say I'm a traitor because I'm too far on the left, because I don't support Trump, because I criticize elements of our history, because I don't want to put up monuments to uh, Confederate racists. (laughs) We're just going to have to live with that. Well, I mean, they have their definition, we have ours. I, I think we, it's not wrong for us to uh, claim patriotism as well. I mean, I, I think especially, well, initially for me anyway, re- with regard to the uh, war in Vietnam, we were being patriotic. And, uh, well, you talk about what is real patriotism. We are, of course, a nation of immigrants. As a state senator, I had the unique pleasure of of witnessing citizenship ceremonies for recent immigrants. And it was very moving. What struck me every time is how openly and deeply patriotic these people are. They understand the Constitution. They understand our rights and responsibilities much more than many people who take America for granted. To me, that is patriotism shining brightly. How is that reality shut out of the minds of of many so-called patriots? That's bizarre to me. It's bizarre, and I have no answer for that question. I find it hard to (laughs) understand. I find it hard to understand how anyone, even if they're a conservative, could see Donald Trump as a a model of patriotism, especially considering his connection to the Vietnam War. Not only that he uh, got out of it by some... medical subterfuge. I have a lot of friends who did that too, uh, and I understand why they did it. But he lies about it. Um, And then he said one of the most amazing things recently that uh, when he was asked about that, he said, well, nobody ever heard of Vietnam at that time. Vietnam was was in the news every day. 24-7. And people of our age, your age, my age, his age, 
we thought about what we were going to do about Vietnam all the time. It was uh, it was our future. Yes. And for him just to dismiss that and really then to dismiss the people who volunteered or who were drafted and who had to go, to me that's the opposite of respect for the military. And I, I could cite a host of other examples of his disrespect for the military. And yet there he is hugging the flag and uh, pretending that he is the embodiment of American patriotism. Okay, I can understand him trying to do that, but how do all those yeah. people buy that? Why? I don't understand. I wish I could understand that, but I, I, I think they're just cowed, amazingly so. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is called Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about what is patriotism. It's been thrown around a lot uh, these days, and uh, our guest is uh, historian Steve Hochstadt, who has uh, taught history and uh, has written an article wondering what is patriotism. And uh, the the discussion about patriotism, the question has ratcheted up rather extremely in the wake of Trump's overtly racist attack on four women left-leaning Democratic members of Congress. Lindsey Graham said, well, we all know this crowd are a bunch of communists, end of quote. It's been said by our president that they hate America, which is, of course, ridiculous. I don't remember duly elected members of Congress being called communists, even in the 50s. I mean, a lot of people were back then, but members of Congress? You're the historian. Is there precedent for calling members of Congress communists? And, and if so, how did it turn out? I don't think there's precedent for a president or other members of Congress calling, uh, except for McCarthy. So since uh, the end of the 1950s or even the middle of the 1950s, so now 60 years, I don't think there's precedent for that kind of language. Uh, and Lindsey Graham's comment shows how much other Republicans have just fallen into line with Trump's decision to just call Democrats in general communists, socialists, right. therefore traitors, therefore uh, people to be dismissed. And then that dismisses all the people who voted, and it's the majority of Americans right. who voted for Democrats yes. uh, in every recent election. Yeah, gerrymandering messes that up. Just dismisses most Americans as disloyal, as un-American. That, uh, uh, let me tell you this. On Sunday, a couple days ago, I went to an Ojibwe powwow here in northwestern Wisconsin. And that was also a patriotic event. And they, they're always patriotic events. They have the American flag. They honor veterans of all branches of service with, and they name them who come. Uh, they do a special dance and have special music for veterans and to honor the flags. It's an extremely patriotic event. But nowhere do they say, we're patriotic and you are not. Uh -huh. We're good and you are not. They just celebrate their own patriotism. And to me, that was a beautiful 
and one that I could uh, mm. feel uh, take part in, even though I'm not Native American. And it's just the opposite of Trump's rallies and his most recent rally in North Carolina, yeah. where patriotism uh, means we're patriotic and you are not. Uh, we're patriotic and you should leave. Absolutely amazing. That 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 rally uh, kind of was pretty obviously a reminder of something that happened in the 1930s in Germany. Very, very yeah, That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, and you delved into it a lot more than I have. Uh, it's it's absolutely amazing. And to use patriotism as a weapon, I mean, clearly the 2020 re-election campaign is on, and they're making no uh, surprise about what their tactic is going to be, that they are America, everybody else is not patriotic. I wonder, do people care enough about this? Are people going to be cowed enough by this? Uh, do people not care about uh, you know, their, their own inner sense of patriotism. I just wonder how successful this could be. Obviously, neither of us has a crystal ball. But, but what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are mostly anxiety uh, about yeah. the 2020 election. That, uh, I mean, I think that there are at least two kinds of people, people like you've just described, who will, who will fight against that and who will try to say... Uh, this is what we believe is good for America and the people who are going to attack us uh, in the name of uh, the Republican Party and Trump. Um, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. No, of course. Uh, but it's, it's shocking to me that it could even be close, that there are enough Americans who might support what he's doing, uh, which is so obvious. There's nothing secret about what he's right, doing. Right. Uh, to, that they could support that. That says something about America that that I thought was not true. That I would have said five years ago. That's not true. We're past that. We're better than that. But, but it doesn't seem like that. It seems like we're not better than that. Well, I tell you, when I grew up in the early '50s, I. I really thought that racism was something that just a few, just very few Southern, you know, Ku Klux Klan crackers uh, carried out. Why was I wrong? I, and it does seem like the, as people have said, that there wasn't a race problem until Obama got elected, which is just astounding to me that anybody could think that. But but they do, and, and they just, uh, they want to insist on something that's not real, to believe in something that's not real. Myth is so much more reassuring and easier than actual history. I happen to think delving into history is a very patriotic thing to do, to see who we are and where we might be able to uh, achieve America, as has been written. And, you know, as we mentioned before, there were the bumper stickers saying, America, love it or leave it. I wonder, and you know, we hear this nowadays too, which is amazing to me. Does that indicate that any participation, even voting for an out-of-power candidate, is forbidden since America is absolutely perfect as it is? That that really concerns me. That uh, phrase, "America, love it or leave it." Can we not? This try idea to... that America, Trump ran on a, a platform in 2016. 
that said America is not great. We have to make America great again. So his whole his whole campaign was America is bad. I can fix it, but still America is bad. So it was it was fine for him to say there are all kinds of things wrong with America. And now if you say there are things wrong with America, now that he's in power, that is that's wrong. That just makes no sense. Of course it makes no sense. But the amazing thing to me is that the same people can just switch their thinking, their argumentation, their beliefs, uh, because he's president now when he wasn't president before. Uh, And it's frightening. It's frightening how malleable people are, how cultish his supporters seem, uh, how unwilling they are to deal with any factual information that they don't like that doesn't fit their what they want to believe. I, I means that my work, yeah, you know, and probably your work. Uh, you wonder what is the purpose of this? People who don't uh, agree already with me are not only not going to agree with me, but think I'm an evil person for saying this stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've I've certainly had that, and I don't feel bad about that. I think Winston Churchill is alleged to have said, if, you know, if you're in the public and you're not making some people angry, you're not doing your job. And he was in, you know, a, a somewhat similar government. But uh, it it just uh, it, it does amaze me, Alisa, uh, being you know like so many Republicans and genuine conservatives used to be what they called deficit hawks. You know, we're spending too much money, money that we don't have. And now it's not an issue at all for them. I, you talk about switching on a dime. It's, it's, it's amazing to me how they can do that. And, just, and, and the other thing that you were talking about is like a cult of personality. I believe our founders were very leery of that. That, you know, unlike we don't have a king, unlike formerly Great Britain, uh, we are not... Uh, about a cult of personality. The Congress is supposed to be a check and balance, as is the uh, judicial system on uh, the executive. And to me, to, you know, just throw that out the window and to say that only, uh, you know, total executive power is patriotism. Wow, was that ever twisted? Yeah, it's a twist on... It's exactly the opposite of what they were saying about Obama. And uh, no, it seems no different than Trump's criticism of Obama for playing too much golf. That uh, it has no relation to reality. No. Um, it only has relation to political advantage in the moment. If this will be good for us in the moment, then uh, it's worth doing, even if it's even if I'm saying black now and I said white yesterday. <laughs> uh, and it, it's worked. Uh, it's at least worked. One of the amazing things about Trump's support is that if you just look at a graph of his level of approval, yes, it's very steady since he took office. Yeah. 
and that's not true for any other post-war president. Oh, it was up and down. It went up and down for every one of them, depending on what they did. Wow. And for Trump, it's absolutely steady. How How is it that nothing that he's done or said in the last two years has made any difference to his supporters or has has done anything to diminish their adulation for him? That's what makes me think it's like a cult. Yeah. And and we've seen that before in government where, you know, it's a fascist dictator that, that he, and it's always a he, is the rule of law. There is no rule of law other than the the Fuhrer, the, the leader. And uh, that's, you know, we're supposed to be a nation that lives under the rule of law. And one of the goals that uh, Mitch McConnell and others have said, it, what's really their goal is to take over the judicial system. And that's, they've really accomplished a great deal of that. And meanwhile, people still have this horrible cult of personality. And I wish, I wish we didn't have that. I mean, it was there a little bit for Obama, too. Uh, and, you know, I, I like Bernie Sanders very much, but occasionally there are people who say, well, if it's not Bernie, it's nobody. That's a cult of personality. We have to win, people. <laughs> At least that's just my opinion. Uh, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Live. We're talking about the nature of patriotism with historian uh, Steve Hochstadt, uh, who's written for the History News Network and the L.A. Progressive, a piece called What is Patriotism? Now, I do like history very much, of course, more so the older I get. Many years ago, the now widely celebrated African-American baseball pioneer Jackie Robinson wrote in his, and nobody can say anything bad about him now, he wrote in his autobiography that he couldn't sing the anthem or salute the flag because, quote, I know that I am a black man in a white world. Fast forward more recently, Colin Kaepernick kneeled at the playing of the national anthem and unleashed fury from so many who saw this protest as an insult to America. He was the poster child for a lack of patriotism. What about Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter so whipped up the right wing and just uh, they don't understand it at all and, and see it as something, you know, an attack on America? Well, uh, racism is something that uh, I've written about, tried to write about, tried to understand ever since I started writing political articles. And the most disappointing thing to me about Trump's rise is how it has demonstrated the strength, continuing strength of racism in our country, that things that I thought were gone or had been forced underground and were disappearing uh, are back, uh, were there all the time, uh, waiting to be unleashed. Yeah. There's lots of argument about whether Trump's support is mainly or only to a small degree caused by racism. And I've been convinced, especially recently, that racism of a significant number of Americans is uh, lies behind people who say about Trump, yeah, he tells it like it is, or he says what we believe. Mm-hmm. What is it that he says that they believe? I think 
a lot of it is racist. And uh, Kaepernick is a great uh, poster child or poster man for uh, racists to uh, shake their fists at. And now he's going to be replaced by... Uh, the four Democratic oh, right. women of the squad. Mm-hmm. And uh, in between, uh, it was immigrants. But I, I, don't, I don't even think immigrants are, are the main thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm up here in Trump country, northwestern Wisconsin, very rural. Mm. There are no new immigrants up here. None of the Central American or South American immigrants come up this far. And they're not going to come up here. Uh-huh. And yet uh, Trump's anti-immigration shouting uh, has a lot of support up here. Most people are Republicans and will probably vote for Republicans in the next election. I think that's uh, there's also not very many black people here. And I yeah, think yeah. that's what uh, this is about up here and in lots of other rural parts of uh, the United States. It's about racism. I, I find it amazing that they can blend patriotism in with fear of the other. You know, the capital T, capital O, the other. But that, that does happen. And, you know, if you're not one of us, you are the other. And that's a fearsome thing. And we all know how powerful fear is politically. And, and you know, FDR, when he said the only thing we have to fear, uh, yeah. I mean, certainly uh, many dictators through the centuries have, have relied on uh, whipping up fear and, uh, and manipulating it. And to, to blend that in with, with patriotism, uh, you know, and if, to be afraid of something you, is, is patriotism. It just, it's almost beyond my comprehension, but it's working. Uh, one thing I've wondered about, we've talked about FDR a couple of times. I happen to think he was a pretty good president. Not perfect, but... You know, he served the United States very well. Uh, and the Republican Party has pretty much defined itself as being about all about taking down his accomplishments, Social Security, uh, various different uh, programs, the New Deal, things like that. He was derided as a socialist when, of course, at least in my opinion, he saved capitalism from itself. Now, my question is, have we come to the point where, and I think Donald Trump believes this, where an unrestrained, monopolistic version of capitalism now defines our American identity and that any criticism is not allowed, that you're anti-American if you're not for absolute uh, uh, power in the hands of a few, which was kind of what we fought the War of Independence about. Is that the case, do you think, that now people believe that it's right for just a few uh, near monopolies to have all this power, and if you dare criticize them at all, you're being anti-American? I, I think there are lots of people who believe that, and one of the revelations that we've had just in the past few weeks is how our opioid crisis was created by the unrestrained capitalism of the pharmaceutical industry, which includes the producers and promoters and sellers of those medicines. How all of those companies, and that includes Walmart and CVS and Rite Aid, 
companies that we use every day, they just put dollars in front of mm-hmm. everything else and were willing to countenance thousands of deaths until they got stopped. That is unrestrained capitalism. And I see the Republicans unable to do anything about it because they don't they don't have the principles. They they're unwilling to restrain capitalists in any way. Um, but nobody is. None of those people are going to go to jail. None of those people are going to have to give up the money they made from that. But there, that's unrestrained capitalism. And uh, yes. again, people are going to hold in their minds. Okay, we got to fix the opioid crisis. Right. It was caused maybe by some of these companies being bad, but still, we can't. Re- There's nothing wrong with capitalism. Uh, this was just somehow a glitch or uh, a mistake. No, it's the <laughs> essence of unrestrained capitalism. Absolutely. And capitalism has to be made to serve the common good. FDR said that, and many others have as well. And I think about, I mean, the opioid crisis. People get an image of the other, you know, the people of a darker skin out on the streets. Uh, As Trump said when he announced for president, it's, you know, the the Mexicans who are bringing it up here. And the whole drug war uh, certainly had, it seems to me, a large degree of, of racism to it. But it was <laughs> the people who were profiting from all the drugs, not just the pharmaceuticals. Uh, they're kind of a monopolistic power as well, largely uh, white, rich men. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it's so convenient to, uh, to, to place it as, you know, those others are un-American. Now, you know, as we say, America, love it or leave it. So is, uh, I think people are getting that we have an opioid problem. Now, there are different ways of addressing it. But if we need, if there's a problem, isn't that, I suppose, not patriotic because we're suggesting that America is not perfect? But then again, that's logical, so what does it matter? Yeah, the logic uh, logic doesn't <laughs> seem to work anymore. Trump himself said, you know, we have an opioid problem, I'm going to fix it. Um, but if we have an opioid problem, where did that come from? Yes. What does that mean? Uh, and uh, a lot of attention can go to fixing it, that is, stop prescribing, try to wean people off of it, try to help people who were addicted, but you've also got to figure out why did we have this in the first place? They pushed it. What went wrong with our uh, economic and health systems that it happened? That that kind of investigation is dangerous because you you may end up revealing structural flaws in the whole system. How Flight dare history we? Is, is a dangerous field, because <laughs> as soon as you begin to dig uh, into our own history, you uncover a lot of dark places, and that uh, a lot of people don't want to hear about that, don't like to hear about the, the evils that Americans have done. But there it is. That's one of the jobs of the historian, to teach about the light and the dark. Well, and I think in in terms of patriotism, I mean, those of us who are into history and know, you know, are willing to face our history and still 
love America for its potential for the very many good things about it as opposed to those who just shut it down. No, you can't look at that. You have to believe in myth, in American exceptionalism, and that we don't need fixing it all. It's, one takes, a, I, I think, a higher degree of patriotism to look at reality and to still uh, care about doing the right thing for America and, and, and making uh, America all it can be. That's still uh, patriotic. And one of the things, again, about you know the 50s and early 60s, in World War II, Russia used to be, after World War II, right after, they were the fearsome, frightening enemy when I was growing up. Now, the president himself kind of genuflects to Vladimir Putin, who is a brutal, freedom-crushing dictator. Uh, and he's, he's, he's loving Duterte and the Philippines and Kim Jong-un. He seems to have a love affair with this very brutal dictator. At the same time, he's turning against our traditional freedom-loving allies. Uh, this is some kind of twist on patriotism. Uh, can you help me understand this? I mean, how can these people who used to hate Russia now think they're just fine? I have no idea how someone who's intelligent and knows a little bit about history and the world can think that it's okay now to praise Russia but criticize Germany right. or France and praise uh, North Korea and say what a wonderful guy this is, but criticize democratic leaders uh, across the world. H how did that happen? The Republican Party was uh, made its fortune by calling liberals soft on communism and soft on Russia, and Trump says, no, Putin is my friend, and that's okay. Again, that's what makes... How do you explain that? That's what makes no me think idea. it's more like a cult, that it doesn't matter. The logic of what he says doesn't matter. What matters is he says it, we love him, it's true then. And if you deny it or criticize it, you don't love him and you don't love us and you don't love America. No logic there, really, but that that's what I think a lot of people are thinking. At least that's my understanding. That That is uh, amazing. I never would have thought it would take that, that turn. And again, we're talking about patriotism. And, you know, if you look at the word patriotism, uh, it's, you know, like uh, father patriotism. It's very, it's a masculine word. It's not matriotism. How wrapped up in male dominance, do you think is patriotism, or, or is that just you know maybe it doesn't relate to the to the macho of it? But I have a feeling. I mean, it's it's not called matriotism. Well, I think for the conservative people that we're talking about, who are using patriotism as a weapon, I think it's not only connected with racism, but also sexism and the uh, efforts of liberals for the past 50 years to bring the genders closer to equality has been very disturbing for people, for some people, 
And now this is a way to get back. Trump is a perfect example or a perfect hero for that, for the way that he treats women. How could someone who treats women the way Trump has treated women, how could he be anyone's hero, especially a conservative? That makes no sense unless you say it's not about thinking but about some cultish feeling that if he did it, it's okay, we'll excuse mm. it, and uh, it's therefore we're just going to keep going. And I'm thinking from psychology classes way back in college that uh, there's something about a lot of people have a need for a, a white knight in you know shining armor to come in on a perfect steed and and save us. And you know in in the uh, Latin American countries there was a caudillo, somebody who is a man who can save us and and just be the the perfect father figure for us. I wonder how psychologically based this is. And if so, whoa, is that ever scary? I, I would hope to think that we would be somewhat over that. And I do think that there's, you know, a lot of the uh, things are changing. You know, there's a lot more feminism now. People are, I mean, gay marriage is legal and accepted everywhere. This is, these are things that are a real threat to, to male, white male dominance. And I suppose that gets their back up and makes them fight even harder. But I'm thinking, I mean, it's we're not all right-wing in America. We're not all seeing patriotism the same way the right-wing sees it. Any guesses as to percentages? I mean, there is that percentage that you've cited where, where you know, Trump is just leveled off. Any, any sense of uh, movement on either side, or is it really locked in, do you think? And if so, are we screwed for 2020? Well, uh, I don't have a good sense of percentages, and what I feel recently is that whatever sense I had of percentages of people who believed in gender equality or believed in racial equality, those were wrong. There's a lot more people who are against it than I thought. But what maybe the only kind of optimism I can draw is that it seems like younger people, uh, people my children's age in their 30s, yeah. Uh, and younger are convinced about the importance of gender equality and uh, gay rights and uh, anti-racism, and that they are—I don't know if we're going to have to wait until mm. they until people our age are all dead. Yeah. But it, it seems like uh, the, the hope is is with younger people yeah. who don't seem convinced by the kinds of arguments that Trump are making and Trump's making and who, who are not convinced by traditional ideas of uh, where women and men ought to place themselves that's my, that's my optimism I, I don't know if it's true or not but that's where it lies our generation yeah which really prided itself on being, uh, we didn't use the word woke in the 60s, but that was, that was the idea. Yeah. We've learned, we're enlightened, we're better than the older generation. We know uh, how things ought to be. Uh, we're more uh, 
in tune with the real egalitarian principles the United States was founded on. That turns out not to be true. Our generation are big Trump supporters. Oh, oh I hate to hear that. But as I, I remember back in that time, uh, you know, the, the young people, you know, wanted to do what young people always do. Uh, let's face it, get high and get laid. But there was a very, it was I figured about 15% of us cared about politics and political change. It's always a minority. So even in our generation, uh, it was kind of very sobering to, to, to get that sense that there's not that many of us who really care about this. And, uh, you know, the, the, the definition of, of patriotism, it's just such an interesting thing. Uh, is teaching history unpatriotic, do you think? Would people say teaching history is unpatriotic? A lot of my fellow historians who write about American history uh, are accused of being unpatriotic because they will talk about the ubiquity of racism or the details of racism before the Civil War and after the Civil War. They will, they will show with their research that the heroes whose monuments have been put up in southern states were uh, not heroic at all. Uh, and so that kind of work, that kind of revelatory work, does get historians accused of being unpatriotic. The, uh, so I write for the History News Network where most of the writers are historians, but right. many of the readers aren't, just average citizens, and so there's a lot of comment on articles, and there's a lot of comment that comes from uh, non-historians on people's articles, including my own, that basically, as soon as we say, well, this this is the way it was, this happened, uh, you're you're some kind of a hack, you don't believe in America, you're not patriotic, this is treasonous, you ought to shut up. That's what happens to a lot of historians for just doing our work. Wow. That, that is very, very frightening. But you're right, people don't, they have their comfortable myth that they don't want anybody challenging that at all. I thought this was interesting that you wrote that 79% of Republicans said that good citizens always follow the law. But Trump's multiple legal transgressions are ignored or defended, end of quote. I always thought that the rule of law in Democratic Republic was paramount, especially for people in high elected positions. Where's the notion of patriotism in that discussion, the rule of law? Well, Bert, one thing that we haven't talked about today is the role of evangelical Christianity in providing support for Trump. Uh, that has little to do with uh, rational discussions of yeah. history or even with the principles of our founders and founding documents, but has to do with uh, religious ideas and uh, certain religious values. Trump's enormous support, almost uh, unanimous support, from people who have been saying my whole life, we believe in morality. We are more moral than you. Mm. And yet they love and give total support to this man who in his 
personal life and continuing in his public life violates every one of their moral values, that plays an enormous role in their uh, this claim of right-wingers that they are patriots, that they are the embodiment of patriotism. And it fits in with the... Uh you know the 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 uh, the father figure, who you know must be looked up to, and there are people you've probably seen little bits and pieces of this, that that really think Trump is almost a second coming. They they really uh, believe that that he's some kind of godlike figure. It's so strange, and you know we're supposed to <laughs> the idea of separation of church and state. Ah, I guess it doesn't really matter. Of course, Teddy Roosevelt was famous for many things. One of them was saying, patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president or any other public official. Can your understanding of patriotism and mine be rescued? Or, or I tell, Don't tell me it's too late. I, I can't believe that it is. But boy, it's, it's in for a tough, tough time. Well, I don't know if we need to rescue it. That is, I think it. Uh, our understanding of patriotism is is a good understanding, but how can we persuade people who don't believe it, uh, who believe in a version of patriotism that that we find illogical and uh, and repulsive? How can we persuade people uh, that our version of patriotism is at least as good as theirs. I don't know. I don't know. You, you talked about psychology lately, and uh, one one of these revelations of psychologists recently is that you, if you present somebody with factual information that goes against what they believe, they're likely to believe, continue believing even more strongly. Again, that that doesn't really make any sense, but uh, it it does seem to explain why uh, people who don't believe in global warming, right. even though it's hot, uh, people who don't believe, they don't believe are willing science. to say that the press is fake news. No, oh, yeah, people who won't believe in other basic uh, discoveries of science because it goes against what they believe. How do, you, how do you talk to those people? How do you convince them? I have no idea. And another, I mean, certainly we mentioned uh, reproductive rights, but there's also the Second Amendment people, the people who, I, I think, I've tried to figure them out, that they see the unrestrained ability of anybody at all to own any and all guns as symbol of freedom, symbol of what it means to be an American. And I can understand that a little bit, but it's, it's a symbol. Like the flag is a symbol. The national anthem is a symbol. They actually stand for freedom under the law. But if you question that, you're seen as some kind of traitor. I, I, just, I wish people who, who see their gun as some kind of guarantee of freedom uh, could could look at things a little differently. Uh, yeah, I I just uh, hopefully. Well, as you say, the younger generation. I got to put my faith in the younger generation. I see it. They're uh, pretty much uh, 
I think all agreed on the on the social changes that have happened, and uh, I have to put faith in the young people. As as one young person who was gathered at a petition in a recent farmers market, you know, I mentioned how I don't know we had done stuff in the late '60s. She said, "Yeah, this is the second wave." That was music to my ears. <laughs> I, I hope it can happen. Well, if people are interested in reading more of your work, Stephen Hochstadt, uh, your uh, your two books. What are the names of the two books? Well, one is called Exodus to Shanghai, which uh-huh. is uh, about the subject that interests me the most, the right. Jewish refugees from the Nazis who ended up in Shanghai, like right. my grandparents. And uh, then uh, I've also written a book that's used in Holocaust courses, university Holocaust courses, called Sources of the Holocaust, which is really just documents so that people can see Oh, this is how the this is what the Nazis said. This is what their victims said. Those are probably the two best known of my books. And of course, we can follow your stuff on History News Network, which I I really enjoy all the time as a non-historian. Thank you so much, Steve Hochstadt. And uh, it's a difficult subject, but we need to look at it. See if we can rescue. Well, thanks people. for having me on your program, Bert. Thank you.